The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Trace Mayer. He is an expert on Bitcoin. Uh, He has a podcast called Bitcoin Knowledge and a website called Bitcoin.kn. Welcome to the show, Trace. Oh, wonderful to be here, Jordan. Thanks for having me. So let's start with your background a little bit and how you got into this whole field of uh, Bitcoin. Yeah, so I have degrees in accounting, a degree, a law degree also. Uh, I've always been interested in money, currency, you know, what makes the world tick, you could say. And so when I ran into Bitcoin, I was just fascinated by it. I could see that it had so much potential uh, because the Internet, the information age, has already radically changed uh, everybody's lives in so many ways. And this is the next layer uh, for building that out. Currently, we have about 50 to 60 protocols that make up the Internet in seven different layers. And Bitcoin is now an eighth layer of the Internet. And so we're going to have to go back and look at how we built everything in the Internet and rebuild it now that we have this new technological innovation and breakthrough. So why don't we just kind of start at the basic? People might have heard of Bitcoin a little bit, but they don't really understand what it is. It's not the easiest thing to understand. So why don't you kind of... Go back to basics and exactly what is Bitcoin and how does it work? Yeah, so Bitcoin's a uh, an internet protocol. It's a way that computers talk with each other. That's what protocols do. And it's a set of rules, uh, rules that all of these computers follow. And what it enables people to do is transfer value over a communications channel. So, you know, whether that's a telephone line or the internet or fiber optics or a radio wave or something like that, it's the first time we've been able to transfer value directly over a communications channel. Previously, we would have to do something like we would have the gold coin and then we would have to figure out a way to abstract it uh, and then send a bank wire or use credit cards or use PayPal or or some of these things, but now we're actually to ha- we're actually able to make the data itself uh, the value, and then and then turn and then send that data over uh, all of these communication channels that we've had such tremendous innovation with over the last 30, 40 years. You know, whether it's cell phones or the internet or the telephone or radio or all of these things. So it's a huge, huge boon for humanity because it enables value to just move much more seamlessly all over the world. But ultimately, Bitcoin is translated into a currency you can spend, dollars, euros, yen, whatever it may be. So how does that translation happen, and how, who determines the price as to what you get for a particular Bitcoin if you actually want to spend the money? Yeah, so that's an excellent question. Uh, just like with the Internet, we have uh, so many different applications. With Bitcoin, uh, the first application is as currency. Uh, You know, like gold is another example. It's a commodity. We can use it in our teeth. We can use it in electronics. We can use it uh, to coat electrical wires. We can collect it. We can use it for jewelry. It's very similar with Bitcoin. We've got all these different 
different applications, different ways that we can use it. The first is currency. And so just like gold, it floats uh, in, in a free way against all other currencies in the world. And then we have companies, usually, uh, that are what what are called exchanges and that's where people will trade their dollars for their bitcoins or they'll trade their euros or their yen or their uh, gold in some cases uh, there's also large cash markets so people will just meet up person to person and and trade that way and that all goes into the price just like the price of gold is determined in a very similar way and I'm actually an investor in the largest Bitcoin exchange in the world uh, kraken.com uh, we're the largest euro pair and then also very large with uh, the US dollar pair. And and so that's really where the rubber meets the road in terms of being able to trade this, this new digital commodity uh, for the fiat currencies. Because a lot of people, you know, they don't necessarily want the magic internet money. They want uh, the fiat currencies. And so that's where uh, all that magic happens is usually at these exchanges. So if you have a big company like Microsoft accepts Bitcoin, uh, Rakuten, which is one of the largest Japanese e-commerce retailers, they accept Bitcoin. Uh, Cheap Air accepts Bitcoin. Uh, in a lot of ways, they just accept Bitcoin, but then it's immediately exchanged into dollars, and then those dollars are direct deposited to their bank account. And so the payment processors and I'm an investor in BitPay, which is the largest payment processor in the niche, uh, they go and they work on these exchanges. And so, you know, that's a way that uh, companies, they, they aren't going to be affected by the exchange rate of Bitcoin, and yet they're able to take this as a new currency where there's no fraud, there's no chargeback risk. Uh, like with credit cards, you're not subject with a particular countries, you know, because credit cards are only really good in 50 to 60 countries. You know, if you want to take payment from people in in a lot of these other countries that don't really have credit card infrastructure, Bitcoin's an excellent way to do that. And so it's a way that you can expand your market uh, and and be able to you know sell more goods and sell more services. How does the price of Bitcoin go up and down? What's been happening to it lately in dollars, for example? One of the forces is the dollar getting weaker, Bitcoin's getting stronger. How does the price mechanism? figure out how many Bitcoins you're going to get per dollar. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, it's all just supply and demand. And so when we look at the supply side of the equation, the amount of Bitcoins are fixed by the rules of the protocol. So there's only going to be 21 million Bitcoins ever. There's currently about 15.3 million of them that are available. Uh, and out of that 15.3 million, people think that several million of them are lost Others are being held for speculative reasons. Uh, and then there's a big batch of them that are being used for transactional reasons. And so that's the, you know, that's the demand side of the equation. We've got speculation demand and then we've got transactional demand. The speculation demand is very wild. Uh, everybody loves to chase the rabbit when it goes up in price, just like gold or stocks. You know, everybody wants to buy. And when the price is down, they, they kind of leave it alone. And so Bitcoin's kind of subject to these big bubbles that go up and down. Uh, and then there's transactional demand. And that demand, the price elasticity of it, it doesn't really matter because people don't care about the price of Bitcoin when they're using it solely for the transactional 
nature because they're only holding it for a very short time, maybe a day at the most. And so whether it's a nickel or whether it's $10,000, they don't care. And so what we've seen over the last 12 months, it was about $250 last year. It's about $460 right now. Um, and the supply of Bitcoin is going to get drastically cut in about three months uh, because the rules of the protocol, every 10 minutes, you there's a new 50. It used to be 50 Bitcoins. Now it's 25. And in about three months, it's going to be 12 and a half Bitcoins that get created and, re, and given as a reward to people who secure the Bitcoin network. Uh, and there's a lot of electricity and hardware costs and stuff that goes into securing that network. Uh, Bitcoin's the largest supercomputer in the world by orders and orders of magnitude. I mean, like 60,000 times more processing power than the 500 supercomputers combined, the 500 largest. So, you know, it's a very, very secure network, but it does cost money to run that. And, and so this reward subsidy goes to the, the people operating software and hardware that secures the network. And that supply is going to get drastically shrunk in about three months. And so it's going to be very interesting to see what happens to the price. The last time this happened, about four years ago, the price went from about $7 to about $266 over a period of three to four months. And I think that's because the saleable Bitcoin that feeds that transactional demand it just dried up, you know, and so the price had to go up to meet this transactional demand use case uh, part of Bitcoin. So, you know, it's very, very hard to predict what the price of Bitcoin is going to do because there's just so much information that that's just impossible to know, like how much transactional demand is there going to be in three months? There's no way to really, to really know that. And so the price, you know, <laughs> has a lot of volatility to it. If you want to speculate, say you think the price is now 450, it's going to go up more. Do you create an account, or how do you actually go up about doing it if you want to invest in Bitcoin to not as a transaction, but because you think the price of it's going to go up? Yeah. So if you the first network effect is speculation, so you just want to buy some Bitcoin and hold it because hey, it might actually be worth more in the future. Um, the easiest way to do it, in my opinion, you get a mobile wallet on your iPhone or your Android, uh, and they're free, something like Bread Wallet. And then you find a friend that knows something about Bitcoin, and uh, you have them send you send you some Bitcoin, and you buy them dinner. You know, and now you've got twenty Bitcoin on your phone, and you don't necessarily know what's going to happen with that. For example, I had breakfast with a friend a few years ago, and. I paid for my breakfast with Bitcoin and like he paid the tab with the waiter and then I ran into him like three or four years later and, and I was like, oh, do you still got your Bitcoins on your phone? And he was like, yeah. And so he opened up his phone and they were worth $5,000, you know, because at the time we had breakfast, Bitcoins were just so a lot cheaper. So, you know, that's probably the easiest way is to find, you know, one of your kids or one of your friends that understands Bitcoin, has some Bitcoins and just, you know, get 20 bucks from him. Because a lot of this is you have to you have to acquire the human capital to learn how to use this new technology because it is a new technology. And so just like learning how to use email and, and having a file attachment and all of these things, like we all had to learn how to do these things. We all had to learn how to write checks or balance our checkbook or use credit cards. Like this is new technology. And it is kind of frustrating because, you know, if you screw up, 
you might lose your bitcoins. So it can become an expensive uh, lesson to learn. And so, you know, I recommend people kind of find a friend that can help walk them through, help them show them where the how you copy and paste and all that stuff, you know, to use computer analogies. And then once you get more and more comfortable with the technology itself, then you can start moving larger amounts of capital into it. You know, Is you there can a start community buying. for people to kind of plug into? Say you oh, don't yes. have a friend who's got a Bitcoin. How do you find somebody who can kind of get you into this? Um, no, I mean, we've got, there's something like, I think there's like 14,000 meetup groups all over the world. And so pretty much any major city's got a meetup group and, and they have meetings and you just, usually it's a bunch of computer developers and they'll go and meet and talk about the software code and all that stuff. But if you just show up at one of them, like New York has a meeting, New York City has a meeting every week uh, and there's usually 80 to 90 people there. And everybody's more than happy to, to help new people learn and understand the technology. And there's very vibrant meetup groups in London, San Francisco, San Diego, Los Angeles, Dallas, Austin, like all over the place. And, and plus lots of, uh, lots of, you know, whether it's teenage kids or even college age kids, a lot of them understand how to use Bitcoin and, and are very savvy with it. And so it's just a matter of kind of asking for help. You know, kind of like uh, my parents are always asking for help with how to use the remote control with the VCR. <laughs> Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Trace Mayer. Uh, he is a leading monetary expert on Bitcoin. We've learned a lot of fascinating things so far and lots more to come. Uh, we'll be back after this. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Trace Mayer. Uh, he is a leading expert on Bitcoin. Uh, there's a website he has, which is bitcoin.kn, to find out more about what he does. Welcome back to the show, Trace. 
Ah, great to be back. Thanks. Tell, tell people a little bit about what they can find at that website, Bitcoin.kn. Yeah, so Bitcoin.kn, I, you know, I've been involved in the industry pretty much since it started, and everybody who's doing something in it that matters, uh, they're they know me or my friend, and so uh, I interview all the top people in Bitcoin. You know, the CEOs of all the companies, and they're everybody's working on a a. a different project that's really exciting and so it's almost like you get to sit down when i'm like having a drink with them and and we uh we discuss what they're doing for 15 to 25 minutes usually so it's it's real exciting uh you know because it's so big we got tens of thousands of developers and probably you know a couple they're, they're probably two to three million people in the industry in total and so everybody's working on a different application for Bitcoin. And there are going to be thousands and thousands of applications. You know, currency is just one of them. So give me some sense of other applications in addition to currency where people might be seeing Bitcoins. Yeah, so a good example of this would be uh, I interviewed Eric Jenning. He's the CEO of Filament. And Filament's making a little weather sensor that they go and put out on uh, electricity poles and it has an oscillator on it and everything else and it's got different sensors and so you can actually use Bitcoin to buy the data from that sensor without having to sign any type of contract with the electricity company and so you know there all of these there are going to be lots of these little micropayment type uh, solutions then we've got smart contracts that's where you know, you could have a lock on your car or on your condo, and instead of having to, people could just, uh, like, the Bitcoins basically go into escrow, but you're not using an escrow agent or anything like that. It's just going to make everything so much more seamless. Uh, tickets to, like, the New York Knicks. How do you know that the ticket you're buying from the scalper is a legitimate ticket? Uh, but with Bitcoin, that could actually be issued on the Bitcoin blockchain. You could trade the Bitcoins and the ticket at the exact same time. You know you're getting a legitimate ticket. It's all mathematically provable. Uh, these are all different, you know, uh, applications. It could be airlines, you know, seat your your seat on an airline or uh, any type of ticketing type stuff. I mean, there's just a lot of use cases. Uh, then there's Another startup I interviewed, uh, Wayne Vaughn, he's the CEO of Tyrion, and Tyrion's using it to secure health records, uh, and they've got a big contract with Philips, actually, to do that. And so, you know, every, anywhere you want to have, like, an, a, a ledger, anywhere where you have a ledger, where you, you need to keep a, a record of who owns what or what is what, you know, whether it's a title transfer uh, like a title registry for cars or airplanes or land or houses, uh, you know, anywhere you need a ledger like Bitcoin can fulfill that role and be very trusted in it. And then once you've got the asset on that ledger, then you can start trading it around for Bitcoins or for other assets that are also on the ledger. Um, so eventually, you know, people might be able to have a, a real estate building, all the leases, all the leases are in there as smart contracts. And so when someone comes to buy the building, all the leases transfer with it and the building and the Bitcoins happen in the exact same transaction. And there's no chance that they don't settle. Uh, they, they settle exactly at the same time. So there's no risk that it, that, that it doesn't happen. So you, why do you need, you, you don't necessarily need escrow the traditional way we do it. And then also securities, you know, putting stocks and bonds and other forms of derivatives onto the blockchain and everything being able to settle and move and be cryptographically provable and much faster. Uh, you know, all there are just so many different applications where companies are going to be able to save a lot of money. Customers are going to be able to save a lot of time. Everything's going to be a lot more secure and a lot more trusted. Uh, and it's going to, it's, 
stuff's just going to work a lot better. You know, you're not going to be waiting three to five days for moving money with an ACH. It's it's going to happen in ten minutes, and no. and it's not going to get lost. And it's what what, <laughs> what do traditional governments, treasury departments, think of this? Is this a threat, or is this something they think is a a positive thing? The 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 holders of the fiat and issuers of the fiat currency are they threatened, and should they be threatened by Bitcoin? Uh, surprisingly, like the I've I've actually met with uh, senior legal counsel at the Federal Reserve, for example, and discussed this quite in depth. There, it I mean, it's legal to to use. FinCEN has offered uh, guidance on how companies are to act in this space, and so like Kraken and BitPay, we have senior compliance officers. One was a senior compliance officer at Visa. Now he's at BitPay for us. Um, so we, you know, we follow different guidelines that are very similar to what money services business or money transmitter businesses follow or payment processors. Um, of course, people can use Bitcoin in nefarious ways. Uh, and there have been some prosecutions where people have used it in nefarious ways. But the, the, the Bitcoin itself, buying or storing it or selling it, like that's uh, completely legal for people to do, and the governments themselves have actually participated in that. Uh, for example, in some cases, the bitcoins have been seized as part of a criminal uh, case, and then the bitcoins have been auctioned by the U.S. government. And so, the U.S. government, they don't, you know, when they seize a bunch of drugs, they don't sell the cocaine, but they will sell the boats or the cars or the houses that they seize. Uh, you know, the the things that are legal. Uh, for people to own, the U.S. government will sell those, but they won't sell the things that are illegal for people to own. And so, you know, there's this the, there's this endorsement by the U.S. government that Bitcoin itself is legal. However, if you use it for illegal things, they're going to, you know, try and track you down and do their law enforcement just like they would if you were using some other thing in an illegal way. It, does it affect the Federal Reserve or other central banks' ability to control monetary policy? Because they're not issuing bitcoins. The Federal Reserve, if they want to ease monetary policy, this is not affected by it. So does that affect the, the, the power of the Federal Reserve in effect? I suppose that it could if Bitcoin were to get large enough. Uh, Bitcoin right now only has a $7 billion market cap. It's pretty much totally immaterial. It doesn't even matter uh, in, the, in the larger scheme of things. I mean, there's $13 trillion just in U.S. bank accounts. Uh, but there was a there was an economist, I think, at the Central Bank of Antigua who wrote a pretty thorough, fairly academic paper on on why the Central Bank of Antigua should be acquiring Bitcoin as part of its reserve assets. And so, you know, it, it possibly could, um, but right now it doesn't really pose any type of a significant threat to the fiat paper franchises in any way or even to fractional reserve banking uh, in any way. And it is a technological innovation, and it has a potential to reduce costs in a, in a lot of ways. And so it might actually make the current banking and financial and monetary systems more efficient and less prone to systemic risk. Because one of the big problems, is, you know, as I mentioned in the first segment, is we're using Bitcoin anywhere we need a ledger. Well, one of the big problems that the current financial and monetary system has is that there is no centralized ledger. So in a lot of cases, we've got big problems with derivatives on, on, the, fi on the financial statements of, of different institutions. And so now that some of them have become too big to fail, and so too big to fail, and so they have to be bailed out. And all of this 
pose all of this poses risk and threat to the to the current financial and monetary systems. And so Bitcoin can help bring more transparency to, in that regard. And so it can actually make uh, our current systems much more secure and resilient and less prone to the systemic risk and systemic collapse that we've already seen as a result of, of stuff happening since 2007. And there was a big case of Mt. Gox, G-O-X, which is one of the bit big Bitcoin players, which went bankrupt. Explain what happened. There was definitely some fraud involved in that. So explain what happened and how did that affect the Bitcoin market? Yeah, so Bitcoins themselves have never been subject to any type of a security incident, you know, just like gold. You know, gold is what it is. Uh, however, lots of people have stolen lots of gold. And in this case, uh, Mt. Gox, they stole lots of Bitcoin. And uh, Mark Carpellis, who is running Mt. Gox, has actually been arrested by the Japanese uh, police. And so he's being held and, and going to be charged with some of this stuff, from what I understand. Anyways, uh, it was the largest Bitcoin exchange. So it was the largest place where people could trade Bitcoins for dollars or euros or yen uh, for the fiat currencies. And they were holding something like $350 million of customer assets, you know, whether it was the fiat currencies or Bitcoins. And, and then he's like, oh, well, you know, I don't have them anymore, uh, or I don't have all of them anymore. And there's been a, uh, a bankruptcy trustee appointed by the Japanese government. And uh, actually Kraken, the, the exchange I'm in, invested in, uh, they got awarded the receivership for distributing out what remaining assets are in that bankruptcy estate. And so they're going to, there's over 200,000 Bitcoins, so over $80 million that's going to get distributed out to claimants. And it's going to be done mainly through Kraken. And the Japanese court signed off on it, the bankruptcy trustee signed off on it. And hopefully that's going to happen in the next three to four months, but it seems to always take longer than we think. Uh, but yeah, it's been a been quite a big black eye for Bitcoin, you know, because people are like, oh, the CEO of Bitcoin got arrested or Bitcoin died or Bitcoin failed. Well, you know, Bitcoin itself hasn't died or failed, uh, just like gold hasn't. But, uh, you know, one of our banks failed, you know, just like, well, it wasn't a bank, it was an exchange, but similar to a bank. And, you know, we've had tons of banks throughout history and tons of uh, fiat currencies throughout history that have failed. And so, you know, it's, it is unfortunate when people do illegal or bad things with Bitcoin. And I think it serves as a stark reminder of why people should reduce or minimize the amount of trust that they place in third parties. Because Bitcoin enables people to not have to trust third parties at all. And, and, or if they are trusting them, to trust them to a much, much smaller degree. And I think that's an important thing to do. For example, with your bank account or with PayPal, PayPal can just get out the eraser and, oh, $100? You know, erase it and put $25. And now your balance is $25. And there's nothing you can really do about it. Because they hold the keys to being able to do that. Uh, yeah, sure, you might sue them, and who knows how long or how much it'll cost to, to deal with that. But with Bitcoin, when when you have a hundred of them, uh, nobody can get out an eraser and change that. Like, it's cryptographically and mathematically provable, and it's part of the rules of the protocol that's being secured by this massive supercomputer. And so, you know, people should 
in my opinion, people should begin should should take seriously reducing the the trust that they're placing in third parties, whether it's in their IRA, their their four hundred one k, their bank account, their securities trading account, like whatever it is, like you know, reevaluate: is that institution worthy of my trust, or should I reduce the trust that I'm placing in them to some degree? Uh, because you know, with all the hypothecation and rehypothecation that's been going on uh, with with the DTCC, with all of these things, it, I think it's just, you know, it, I think it's very scary out there for for our money and, uh, and our assets in a lot of these institutions. Does this also help if you want to go abroad? You put money into Bitcoin, then you can convert it into local currency if you're in Europe or Japan or someplace. Is that a, a good use for it? Oh yeah, and a ton of people use it exactly for that use case. You know, they'll, they'll move to Argentina or Venezuela, and it's literally the best option. Uh, the, it's the cheapest, the fastest, the most secure. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, people, it, it, it makes it very seamless, um, especially if you find, you know, get yourself plugged in with the Bitcoin community in the local area. Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My fascinating guest uh, this hour is Trace Mayer. Uh, he is an expert on Bitcoin. Uh, you can see more about him at his website, bitcoin.kn. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in government, the legal arena, and the business world impacts your business every day. And we're going to take you on a behind-the-scenes tour of it all. Each week, we'll bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers and leaders. Squire Patton Boggs will be your guide as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join us for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Channel each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Trace Mayer. Uh, He is an expert on Bitcoin. um, And a website you can find out more is bitcoin.kn. Welcome back to the show, Trace. Oh, glad to be here. So let's take a kind of a broader macroeconomic view and, and what role Bitcoin might be playing in that. Uh, you talk about something called the fourth turning, uh, which is kind of the cycles of the economy. Where are we in that cycle, and what would that telling what would that be telling people 
is coming uh, economically. Yeah, so The Four Turnings, a book by uh, Strauss and Howe, it's similar in thinking to the Kondratiev wave or the Kondratiev cycle. We have, you know, spring, summer, fall, winter, they go in about 20 to 30 year increments about the size of a generation. Because when you're, when you're growing up into a different economic environment, if it's spring or summer, it's just, oh, it's just great times. Let the good times roll, you know, and that's what the baby boomers, uh, they graduated into college into this just fantastic uh, environment. Uh, whereas the millennials, we're, they're graduating into this winter uh, we had the unraveling. We had fall. Now we're in the winter. It started in about 2008. It's going to go to about 2026. And we, we see the previous cycles, you know, the Constitutional Revolution. Then we had the Civil War. Then we had World War II. And now we have whatever's going to happen here. These are the 80-year cycles, uh, the winters. And so that's what we're in. And during the winters, you know, what's very characteristic of it is people lose a lot of trust in the institutions. We're seeing that with both Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump in terms of voting. Uh, people lose, you know, they just lose faith and trust. It's crisis. It, it goes from economic to social to political to geopolitical to geostrategic, uh, financial. And so, you know, that's that's what we're in the middle of. And we have failures of large institutions. We A lot of stuff that just shakes the, the cohesion of society. Uh, and you know, it, it gets ugly and sometimes it turns into war and sometimes it turns into really, really bad war like World War II. So specifically in the financial economic realm, uh, we've been issuing a lot of debt for a long time. The central banks have been doing quantitative easing. They're still doing that in a big way in Europe and Japan. We have negative interest rates. Where does all this go with, with what the central banks have been doing for so many years? Yeah, so, you know, back in 2007, 2008, we had that financial crisis. I actually wrote a book I published January of 2009, the same month that Bitcoin got released, called The Great Credit Contraction. And the argument was basically that capital had been moving up this liquidity pyramid into less safe, less liquid assets, you know, whether it's derivatives or commercial real estate or stocks or bonds or whatever. And now, with this Great Credit Contraction, it's moving back into safer and more liquid assets. Uh, primarily, it would be gold because it's liquid and nobody's liability. But then above that, it would be uh, dollars as a world reserve currency and then things like the euro and the yen. And that's exactly what we've seen. Since uh, 2007, there's been $57 trillion of new debt added. We currently have $7 trillion of uh, government debt out there that has negative interest rates, which is just nuts. I mean, why are you, why are you paying somebody to lend them money? I mean, it, it makes no sense. It's re, it's return-free risk. Uh, and, you know, it's it's just going to get kind of worse and worse until eventually, uh, I think, the confidence game is lost in these fiat currencies and these fractional reserve banking institutions. And people are going to, you know, go back to wanting something real or tangible in their hand uh, that's not subject to the, to the counterparty risk. And... Uh, and that, you know, the solution in 2009, that was gold. Uh, but now that we've got Bitcoin out and, out and about, Bitcoin might be a solution to this problem that lacks any possible solution. Uh, because, mean it would go up in dollars. The, the price of Bitcoin in dollars would go up if there's more demand for it. As you say, there's only $7 oh, yeah. billion. Dollars. It's a very small market now. A small amount oh, yeah. of increased demand would make it go up a lot. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it would be insane. Like... Gold is a $7 trillion market cap. Uh, if Bitcoin were a $7 trillion market cap, we're looking at $40,000 of Bitcoin. 
and it's currently $400 a Bitcoin, so it'd have to go up 100x. Uh, but, you know, it's a fundamental financial innovation. It provides a solution to a lot of these problems that people have. And if people find that useful, uh, then, yeah, they might bid the price up. And that's one of the reasons, you know, uh, I liked getting Bitcoin back when it was a nickel. Uh, or a quarter, you know, was, hey, it actually might turn into something. And since that happened, people have actually been building out these solutions and it's gotten more useful and more valuable and solved more problems for people, which is part of the reason why there's this increased demand for people to, to buy and hold it. And so it's actually, you know, if we're going to, I'm a firm believer that the market is going to reward the people who create the solutions to, to the problems. What have been some historical uh, similar times and kind of how did it work out other winters in history and what happened to currencies to, to get us some sense of what might happen in the future? Yeah, I mean, it, history, it doesn't repeat, but it often rhymes, right? And so we've got the Constitutional Revolution. We had debtors paying uh, their creditors without mercy with continental dollars that had become worthless. In France, uh, John Law, he, he had convinced King Louis to make it illegal to use gold and silver to buy bread under penalty of death. And guess what? You got the French, uh, the reign of terror. They, they took out 20,000 of the elites and beheaded them in the guillotines. Uh, then you had the Civil War, and that's where Abraham Lincoln issued the greenback, and he uh, consolidated the U.S. banking in- industry uh, with, with much more like national laws that applied to it. Uh, and then Samuel Chase, like uh, what, who had been U.S. Treasury Secretary, he gets put on the Supreme Court the next year, and then he strikes down as unconstitutional the very stuff he did as the Treasury Secretary. Then you've got Franklin Roosevelt, who, along with Mussolini, Hitler, and Stalin, made gold illegal. And you know, one of the reasons for that, Dr. Alan Greenspan, who had been chairman of the Fed, he said that gold stands as a protector of property rights. It stands in the way of confiscation through inflation. And, uh, you know, that's why status want to, you know, prohibit the use or the ownership of gold. And so that's what Franklin Roosevelt and Stalin and Hitler and Mussolini did. Uh, like under the 1933, the gold executive order 66102, uh, it made it illegal to own gold for U.S. citizens. And, and so now here we are. We're in the next, we're in the next crisis. Uh, money and currency and, and, and the monetary system is right at the core of the problem, and Bitcoin could potentially be a solution. Uh, we can't send gold like we send an email. You know, we can't send gold over a communications channel. Uh, it, I mean, it's a physical asset in that way. Uh, so Bitcoin, Bitcoin might be a solution. You know, it just might. Could right you see, now, it's a, could, could you see governments banning uh, the use of Bitcoin just as they ban the use of gold? That it would be so difficult to do. Uh, for example, in the mid '90s, it was illegal to export munitions. I, it was illegal to export cryptography under the Munitions Act. And cryptography is really just math. And math and cryptography have changed the destiny of nations. For example, uh, Alan Turing cracked the Enigma machine and saved 14 million Allied lives in the fight against uh, Adolf Hitler in World War II. And so. You know, when we're talking, when, when I'm talking about sending it over a communications channel, I'm, Bitcoin is just math. And no amount of violence is going to solve a math problem. And the Bitcoins themselves are really just prime numbers. They're just numbers. So when you're talking about, oh, do we, are we going to make 
numbers illegal? And, and even if we do make numbers illegal, look at BitTorrent. BitTorrent is illegal. Uh, well, not BitTorrent, but a lot of the use cases that people use BitTorrent for is illegal because BitTorrent's just a protocol. You can use it for illegal or legal things. Uh, like movie sharing is an illegal use case, but it makes up over 25% of the use case of the internet. And that's because it's censorship resistant. And that's another key property that Bitcoin has is that it's censorship resistant because it's this decentralized distributed computer network that's the largest computer distributed computer in the world by orders of magnitude. And so the governments of the world, they just might not have enough processing power to compete with it or to, to, to censor it, even if they wanted to. I mean, it's, it's a huge machine. So kind of take us through how this might work. So, uh, I mean, as you say, right now we have negative interest rates. So people don't want to keep their money in the banks anymore. So they want to keep their money in Bitcoins and it hurts the banking system. Kind of just play out how this scenario you're talking about would go. Well, you know, it, there, there's this phrase in the Bitcoin uh, community called closing the loop. And that, what that means is people want to get paid in Bitcoin, and then people want to have all their expenses in Bitcoin. And so I know actually quite a few people who have closed the loop. They work as independent contractors. Maybe they're in Argentina. They're performing uh, digital you know, graphic design services for somebody. They get paid in Bitcoin. They turn around. They buy their food. They pay their rent. They do all their other stuff in Bitcoin. And so they don't need to hold any Argentine pesos ever. They don't need a bank account for anything. And, I mean, the more people that begin closing the loop, the more people that begin minimizing the trust or the exposure that they have to these failing and failed institutions, whether it's Bank of America or Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or AIG or all the people that needed, all the institutions that, that needed to get bailouts, you know, why do you want to be exposed to them with your retirement funds? Why do you want to be exposed to them with all your savings? So if you want to minimize that trust, you know, Bitcoin's a way to do it. And a lot of people have already started doing it. And we all know what the first rule of panic is. The first rule of panic is to do it first. You know, you don't want to be the one stuck holding the bag. You don't want to be the one standing in line in Greece trying to get your money out of the ATM machine. You want to have your money already out of the ATM machine. You know, then it's not my monkey and it's not my circus. So is that very big, like in Greece and places where Syria, places that are kind of in crisis? Is there a big use of Bitcoin there? Oh well, not Syria so much, but yeah, Greece. Uh, Greece is there. Are a lot of people use Bitcoin over in Europe, whether it's uh, Greece, Portugal, Spain, Italy, uh, Germany. You know, but the 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 pigs, for example, you know, they've got major they've got major problems with all of their banks and everything. And yeah, a lot of people are moving over into Bitcoin and, and trying to close the loop uh, over there. You know, and Cyprus was a big example because uh, when Cyprus started, uh, you know, the the Cyprus uh, banks closed, and then Bitcoin went from like sixty dollars to two hundred dollars within a month. Uh, and I think and, all and the it, Russian oligarchs had their money in Cypriot banks and got to, taken away, basically, right? Uh, yeah, and Russia Russia is a huge uh, a huge economy for Bitcoin. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of people in Russia use Bitcoin for a lot of things because they have so many restrictions on transfers and and other stuff that just makes it difficult to do business. And so they moved to Bitcoin to do business. And uh, and once they start using it and getting comfortable with it, then 
You know, they're like, man, why am I keeping my money in a uh, in a Cypriot bank when I could just move it into Bitcoin? And so they panic and they do it first. And so they get their money out and they get it safe. And then somebody else is left holding the bag. And that's really what's going to happen. Pe there, a lot of people all over the world are going to have to be bag holders uh, because uh, all, the capital has already been misallocated. And so it's just going to be a matter of getting it marked to market in a lot of ways. And that happens in bank runs. That happens, you know, which is why all these bailouts and bail-ins uh, have to take place. And really what that's doing is that's just inflating the currency, you know, with the quantitative easing and with the negative interest rates, which is debasement. And so who's going to end up holding all these bonds when the currency itself gets destroyed? Like, why not just sell it and move into something more tangible like gold or Bitcoin that has little, if any, risk associated with it, besides exchange rate risk. Very good. We're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My fascinating guest is Trace Meyer. Uh, he is an expert on Bitcoin. You can find out more about him at his website, bitcoin.can. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need exactly when you need it so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Trace Mayer. Uh, he is an expert on Bitcoin. A website that he has, which you can find out more, is bitcoin.can. Welcome back to the show, Trace. Yep, yeah, wonderful. So let's give people some specific brass tacks ways of getting involved in Bitcoin if they want to do so. You said there's some websites. Kind of go through that process again. Yeah, I mean, one of the, one of the easiest websites for uh, brand new people coming into Bitcoin is called weusecoins.com. And it has getting started guides for buying Bitcoins, securing your Bitcoins, uh, accepting Bitcoins if you're a merchant. Uh, it explains a lot of how Bitcoin works, you know, gets a lot of knowledge in that sense. So, you know, that'd be a it 
I, I'd, I'd recommend that. You know, so we use coins.com. They have guides for how to buy bitcoins in pretty much every country throughout the world, like the different trusted exchanges that have been in business for a while and things like that. So it's a, you know, it's a real helpful brass tack for somebody to just kind of go and peruse that website and then try to get themselves acquainted with the technology. Yeah. Now you're saying that there are some countries that have already uh, confiscated people's retirement accounts. How does that work and how would that spread? And how, if you had Bitcoin, could that avoid the damage to somebody? Yeah, I mean, this is a big problem. Like Argentina uh, has done it. You've had nationalizations of pensions and retirement accounts in, I think, something over 10 countries in Europe. Um, and, you know, the, how it might happen in the U.S., for example, is uh, they, they decide that you have to hold 25% of your 401k or IRA, you have to hold it in treasury bills. And then they decide that they're going to devalue the, the U.S. dollar. And so, boom, they, they get to confiscate a good portion of your retirement account by doing that. You know, because do you want to hold do you want to hold treasury bills or do you want to hold Google stock or Apple stock or do you want to hold Bitcoin? Well, guess what? If if your money's in a retirement account, then the the retirement custodian is the one that's going to be making those decisions because they're the ones who have the control over the asset. But with Bitcoin, you have control over the asset, just like as if you were holding a gold coin in your hand. And so it can't be confiscated in that sense. You can't earn interest on Bitcoin, though, right? It's not like a bond where you, I mean, it's sitting there, it may go up and down in value, but it doesn't produce interest like a bank account conceivably yeah, could. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a, it's a digital commodity. So you can think of it like a gold coin, but just digital. Um, so it, there's no cash flow associated with it. You don't earn interest. You earn interest when you take risk. Uh, and so Bitcoin, gold, these are risk-free assets. Uh, they might change in terms of exchange rate risk, uh, you know, their, their price relative to dollars or euros. But, you know, if you have an ounce of gold today and you have an ounce of gold tomorrow and you had an ounce of gold 50 years ago, it's the same ounce of gold. It has a definition. It's on the periodic table. You know, Bitcoin has a definition. It's it's manifested it's in not the periodic table yet. What's that? It's not on the periodic table yet, Bitcoin. Right, but it but it but that definition is defined by the rules of the Internet Protocol. Yeah. So um, right now, the U.S. dollar is the world reserve currency. People often say, "Well, you know, that's not going to last. There should be some other kind of reserve currency." Is it possible that in the long term, Bitcoin? could become the new world reserve currency? Yeah, I, I do think that is a potential. Uh, currently, it's highly, highly improbable based on the current price of Bitcoin. Um, and even if it were to happen, you know, maybe it would be in 25 or 30 years at the absolute earliest, which might be part of the reason why it's not factored too much into the price yet because of the, you know, if you took the discount rate on something like that. But yeah, it, if it, I, I do think that it could it could become a world reserve currency. That would be the last network effect. But yeah, I do think it's possible. So if that were to happen, how would that impact people's holdings in U.S. dollars and euros and yen and traditional currencies? Well, you, I mean, you might have dollars or euros, but like when you when you sell your Apple shares, you would actually be trading your Apple shares for bitcoins, and it would be. Ha and it would be happening in the same transaction, so you would never have to go through dollars or euros. And there would be no settlement or counterparty risk or anything. It would just all happen 
in the same transaction. It would all be mathematically provable. There would no, be no way to steal or counterfeit or, or defraud a lot of this stuff because you would be handling the private keys yourself, um, meaning you would have all the dominion and control over those Bitcoins. Uh, and you wouldn't have to trust third parties or anything like that with your assets or custody of your assets. But I'm saying if a lot of transactions were done in Bitcoin, including investments, other things too, would it mean the value of the U.S. dollar, yen, euro would go down a lot because it would, would not be used as a currency as much? Yeah, so exactly. Demand for dollars or yen or euros would decrease. Demand for bitcoins would increase. So, And that would have uh, effects on the prices. Yeah, but also it would mean that the governments would not be able to control their economies as much. If bitcoin is kind of out of their control, I would think they'd resist that whole idea, that whole movement. Yeah, I mean, perhaps, perhaps, or maybe market forces will just uh, force it, you know? I mean, at the end of the day, look at what the Internet has done to other forms of analog uh, communications, whether it's radio, whether it's uh, TV, whether it's movies, whether it's newspapers. Uh, you know, what Silicon Valley, innovate or die. And and what we're... What, the, the the last great area for innovation to happen that the internet hasn't really touched yet is financial services and money and currency. And yeah, I think what we're going to be seeing as we move further into the information age is a denationalization of, of the monetary units. And we're already seeing it with things like PayPal and Venmo and TransferWise and, and all these fintech companies. And Bitcoin is you know now the, the absolute spear tip on this innovation that's happening. Because it's censorship resistant. Yes. Um, all right. So, in, in kind of summing up this whole thing, tell people why they want to learn about Bitcoin and kind of how they can get into this because it's it's like a whole new world for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, I I just recommend people go to weusecoins.com. It's got all these getting started guides. If you want to, you know, poke your head around my podcast and listen to CEOs of the companies, uh, Bitcoin.kn. I and I'd recommend just just try to figure out how to buy $20 worth of Bitcoins and move them around. It's like sending your first email, right? And, and then once you've sent your first email, then like just try to figure out other ways to use and experiment with the technology. And, and as you use and experiment with it, you know, training wheels at first on the bicycle, but eventually you'll be able to ride your bike on your own and the light bulb will just click for you. Oh, I could use Bitcoin in this case or in that case and it would save me money or it would save me time or whatever. And that's really how this grows is people find, uh, you know, they start experimenting with it and then they find that it scratches an itch for them uh, and is cheaper, faster, more efficient. And then they're, you know, they start using it. Purse.io is a great example. One of my friends, she uses Bitcoin only for Purse.io, and she saved $1,600 last year on Amazon. She saves over, she saves on average 20% on every order on Amazon using Purse.io uh, instead of her credit card. And I think that's a great example of, you know, an immediate way that people can save money uh, using Bitcoin and not be exposed to hardly any risk with it. So she's saving that money by not having fees, or how does she saving money over using traditional uh, payment systems? Yeah, so there are a ton of people that get paid an Amazon gift card credit, but they can't buy stuff from Amazon because Amazon doesn't ship to their country. They work something like Amazon's Mechanical Turk, and they're in Bangladesh. And so they would rather have Bitcoin than have Amazon gift card credit. So they'll buy the stuff on Amazon for you. After it gets shipped to your house, then the Bitcoins get released from escrow. 
uh, to them, and then they're able to sell them to get their Bangladeshi money or whatever, and you, you've got your good or service, and so you're not exposed to any risk because you only release the Bitcoins after you get the good or service, and you actually set the amount of discount that you want. So if you're willing to wait a while, you might say, I want a 35% discount. And you import your wish list from Amazon, you set a 35% discount, eventually somebody buys it, uh, or you set a 20% discount if you want to get it faster. Uh, and, you know, instead of using a credit card and getting rewards points, you uh, save 20% on the order. And amazing. it's amazing only because stuff. of using Bitcoin. Very good. Well, it's amazing. It's a whole new world that people have to learn a lot about. My guest this hour has been Trace Mayer. Uh, he is uh, with Bitcoin.kn. That's where you can find out more about him. Uh, so you've been a fascinating interview, and we very much appreciate you being on the Money Answer Show, Trace. Oh, glad to be here, Jordan. Anytime. Thanks again, and we'll be back with another edition of the Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.